So, has everybody got one of these? All right, I need I need some help. So, um, David, who's, what's your son's name? Dawson. Um, I need you guys to come up. Brother, can you come up? Um, Jeff, come on up. Um, would you mind coming up? Thank you. So, what I need is I need um, you guys come over here. Over here. So, Dawson, you stay here. David, you get against the wall. Jeff, you get against the wall. Get against the wall. Ma'am, get right there. Okay, you guys are right there. You're right here. Now I need three more people. You three out here. Just stand right here. Okay, right this way. Okay, so I'm going to give you a physical. Uh, no, 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 no. You got to be right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give you a physical uh, demonstration of um, one way you can do your governance here, and then we'll talk about it. So um, some churches have a plurality of elders, and they're all kind of on a level ground. They all make the decisions. They can hire and fire the pastor, and you have maybe a first among equals. That would be the senior pastor. Um, and the the ARC model, and there's there's variations to this, says, okay, this is Dawson. He's our lead pastor. Everybody give him a hand, all right? Okay. So Dawson lives in this world, and, I, and because we don't have enough room, I'd have more. So, so let's just say staff, trustees, people who, um, you know, set salaries and that kind of thing, and then people that work for the church, that, they, that is the, these people. This is your lead pastor. Here are your overseers. These are outside senior pastors or have been senior pastors. And um, so they protect Dawson from this craziness here that can be staff and trustees and whatnot, okay? But also there's um, an ability for these folks if this guy gets a little crazy, to appeal up to these overseers. So they protect the church from his crazy, okay? So that's the model um, that, uh, that ARC uses with some nuance. Am I, am I close, David? Where are you at? Yeah. So, so anyway, you guys can sit down. Thanks for that. But I just wanted to show you that real quick. And, um, and so I'm going to teach not based on this model, but it could be this model. So I'm going to talk to you about what kind of elders, leaders, whatever language you use. Um, but specifically with that in mind, um, I, I personally have uh, studied um, ecclesiology, which is how the church is governed, and written books in it. Uh, none of the books I've written where I've written about it I agree with anymore, so I wouldn't recommend those books. Um, although they will help my kids go to college, so go ahead and buy them. But... Um, but I think what this model does, if I can just endorse it for a second, I think it really does um, help, especially when crisis comes. And so I would encourage you to look at that. Um, there's a book I think Tom Lane wrote called Healthy Church Leadership or Church. Somebody can get the title for me on that, one of the gateway guys. I mean, there's other good books too, but I just want to talk to you about what do you look for um, in an overseer? And then we'll get super practical. What about, but I wanted to run through this. Let's go to 1 Timothy 3 which uh, that, that passage in Titus 1 is probably the clearest description of what an overseer is and a little bit about what they do. 1 Timothy 3 says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be an elder. It's a good thing to be an overseer. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, 
not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if one does not know how to manage the household of God, how will he care for God's household? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So what I want to do, <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to run through all of those words we just went through. All right. Uh, my undergraduate is in biblical languages, so I, I, I knew Greek 25 years ago. So we'll see. Um, so study to make sure I'm not a heretic. But um, there's, a, there's a comment up there that's pretty interesting. Alexander Strach, who's written a ton of books on eldership leadership, uh, says that, the, and this is true, the New Testament are, offers more on eldership than Lord's Supper, Lord's Day, baptism, or spiritual gifts. There's a ton of stuff in here that's clear uh, on, on eldership, so it's kind of a big deal. A lot of times we choose, and we'll get to this in a second, but you choose elders or overseers based on their business acumen or their um, influence in the community. And when you do that, when you make that primary, um, you're putting the church and yourself in danger. And so I think these qualifications um, are important for us. So the word for overseer is um, from this word that means to look after, to examine, to consider. Is that me? Okay. Am I already done, bro? Man, that was quick. Well, good luck with that. Oh, there it is. Um, so that one who looks after and examines provides covering. If you've heard that word, hey, their cover provides covering. That's what that's from this ancient word, episcope. Um, a guardian, a controller, a ruler, a manager. So when we're talking about overseers, I like to see. I like to say it this way: they oversee. They see over the milieu of of you know the weeds of the church, and they're looking out for the whole of the church. Um, that's what they do. Uh, they're above reproach. And so this is kind of, many think that when Paul gives these lists in the Bible, uh, you know, like in 2 Timothy 4, he said, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves, or three, and, and then he starts listing off all this crazy stuff. Well, the first thing that he lists is the title of the list. So many think above reproach is simply the title. In other words, what does it mean to be above reproach? I'm going to tell you. All right. First one is, you're the husband of one wife. And this literally means one woman man. So a lot of people think, well, this is talking about divorce. Probably not. Probably what it's talking about, this idea that an elder's devotion and sexual connection is their spouse, that they have, they have an eye for their spouse alone. All right. So that this is about being emotionally and socially and physically connected to your spouse. That's what we're talking about here. Um, sober-minded, temperate, some translations. This means that um, an elder, a pastor, is not to be led by their emotions. They have freedom from debilitating excesses. Um, it's really the emotional life of the leader. And I'll just throw this out. Um, you need to pay attention and have metrics for uh, the emotional life, not just the spiritual life. They're not, they actually are in scripture connected, but we tend to separate them, but they're actually connected. And we can talk about what that looks like. Self-control. This means a sound mind. This is the the, the, you know, the cognitive, able to focus, not easily distracted, good judgment, common sense. Um, uh, you know, respectable is the next one. 
well-ordered life, um, a life that's not characterized by chaos. So, because what happens is people are looking to church leaders, and if their life is chaos, they won't trust. They won't trust them, and then it also gives them permission for their life to be in chaos. So your elders, your leaders are basically, you're basically taking photocopies of their lives and passing them out to the congregation and say, do your life, do your marriage like this? Do your finances like this? Do your sexuality like this? Uh, You're plugging their life into an amplifier. All right. So you want them to be respectable. Um, Idea being that you, you have a handle on the complexities of life. None of these characteristics, and I should have said this up front, this is not about perfection. This is about progress. Um, the only person that would be qualified if you took these in one way uh, for this list to be an elder is Jesus, and I don't think he's coming to do that for your church right now. So th- this is about progress, not perfection, but an, el- an elder, a pastor in your church, a leader must be one who is able to kind of have a handle on their responsibilities so they have margin to have responsibilities in your church. Make sense? All right, turn the page. Um hospitable. This isn't like potlucks over at your house with all church folk, right? Literally means uh, to welcome strangers, to love strangers. Um, so you're not cliquish. What happens in church leadership is we, we model the example of um, how we relate to unbelievers for the church. And if the elders are all, and the pastors and the staff are always hanging out together and they don't have relationships with people who are far from God, your church is going to imitate that and you're going to have a bunch of clicky church folk. And so your elders are to lead out in welcoming strangers. And literally the idea is that they're in their home. So that, so that for me, an elder is not someone who just knows how to run the business of the church or has good theology. It's someone who loves their neighbors well and has them in their, ha- in their home, observing their life, going, uh, my witness is not just with my mouth or with my service, but actually come and watch uh, me love Jesus. By the way, my I love my wife. I love my kids. I lead my home. Uh, able to teach. This is the only um, qualifications that's different than a deacon. If you go down into verse eight, he starts talking about deacons. Um, but this is the only qualification. So an elder should be able to teach and, and instruct. Doesn't mean they're a great preacher, but it means they they can handle the scripture, right? They can they can understand it in its original context and make a, a contemporary application. They're not a drunkard, so they're not using substances. I love what Pastor Chris said last night. I thought he did a great job uh, on that. Um, they're not they're not avoiding reality with a substance. Um, you know, they're not. We, I was on a staff with a pastor, and he and his wife. I'm not even joking. Um, they went to at least. I'm saying. I'm really. I'm being careful. I want to make. I don't want to exact. At least three movies a week. Now, this is before Netflix and all that, so maybe that's what people are doing now naturally, the Netflix. But this was like, I'm like, dude, really? Like three a week? It just seemed excessive. And I'm like, you know, that's like, that's like seven, eight hours. That's like a day of work. You're in the dark watching a movie. I mean, it was just weird. So it could be movies. It could be, it could be, it could be, you know, something that you're using to avoid reality. I can't, I kind of think is the, the force there of that. So, and then the next one is not violent. The word literally means striker. So can't have elders, you know, punching people out. That's not going to go well. Um, but really, I think the idea is they're not intimidating. They're not threatening with their physicality. 
And um, so you just got to watch this. And if, and if, especially if you're a bigger person physically, or you have elders and le- like, you got to really help them get a little smaller because they are intimidating to people. Um, gentle. This is the idea of being willing to yield when yielding is possible. You don't always have to be right. This is like the stubbornness quotient. Um, you don't always have to have your way. Doesn't mean you don't lead with vision. Doesn't mean you're not strong. Doesn't mean you're not clear. It just means that you, you know how to pick your battles. You know how to collaborate. And you're not quarrelsome. You're not always turning discussions into arguments. Has everybody, anybody ever had an elder or a staff person that was awesome at arguments? Yeah, what a pleasure that was, right? Um, great seminary student, bad pastor, okay? Don't want that. Um, not a lover of money. So you, you really have to, um, you know, for, for, for our world of um, consumerism and excess, you really want elders modeling the way that they're living below their means. Um, they're, they're careful with their hobbies. They're careful with their purchases. Doesn't mean they can't have nice things or live in a nice house. But one of my, one of my mentors um, and good friends, uh, Ed Stetzer, said this to me when I was a young pastor. He said, uh, Darren, uh, the more responsibility you have, the less freedom you have. And so that is true for this, this tier of leadership. You have a ton of free, f- freedom as a, as a believer, but the more responsibility you have, that freedom gets lowered. And I don't think we have to look too far into the Christian world to see when that doesn't go well, when, when pastors abuse freedom, what that says to an unbelieving world. And the examples are everywhere. And I'm not picking on anybody specifically. They're everywhere. Just get on Twitter. Everywhere. Actually, don't get on Twitter, but um, they manage their own household well. So this, the word means to be diligent, to stand before, to, to be, it's, it's the idea of being a spiritual leader. The Puritans used to say this, you can't pastor the big church if you don't pastor the little church. If you don't teach your kids the scripture, if you, if you don't teach your spouse the scripture, how are you going to stand up and teach God's people? Uh, it just, but how many pastors and leaders don't do this? Right, I think you work out. You know, I always say to young young uh, pastors, I'm like, I don't know, I need more opportunities to teach. I'm like, you married? You got some kids, right? I mean, that is our opportunity to work out the gospel with our families. Not a recent convert. Now, how recent? I don't know. Um, you go and plant churches overseas. I mean, you you go to a tribe, win them to Christ. Somebody's got to be the pastor when you leave. So I don't know how that works. But I've talked to missionaries, and like, yeah, we, we, that's a hard one to apply overseas. But it's, it's the idea of spiritual maturity and longevity. There's just some things, no matter how radical your conversion, no matter how much you've consumed the Bible, you just, you just need some age on you, need some time. Um, and so that's a, uh, my tendency is to, um, as a pastor, has been to put people in leadership positions that they weren't qualified for. Because we got to move, we got to grow, we got to start another campus, we got to do this next thing, and so it's so easy to slide on this one, and you just got to be very careful on whatever level of leadership you're looking like. So I'll stop there. What do you guys think about that? Any thoughts? Yes, sir. 
Yeah, we're all disqualified immediately, right? Absolutely. And he's talking to Timothy, who, oh, by the way, is, um, has no spiritual heritage, we learn. Grandma and mama helped, but where was dad? We see that. Um, Paul even names his grandma, I think. Was it Eunice? He's full of fear, Lois. Yeah, he's full of fear, which is why Paul said, you do not have a spirit of fear. He's insecure about his age, 1 Timothy 4. Don't look, don't, the, the Greek is stop letting people look down on your youthfulness. So he's insecure, he's fearful, he, he has no spiritual heritage, and he's the guy planting the church at Ephesus. And he's the guy raising up all his people. So I think we have to, and Titus um, is on an island with a bunch of barbarians. I mean, and, and Paul's like, oh, go find elders among them. I mean, so we gotta, we gotta like, you know, just what Matt was saying. We gotta, we gotta have some, fl- but don't, don't take the teeth out of this. Cause that's, that's what I would say. It's there for a reason. So don't take the teeth out of it. What else? Yes, sir. On this. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard one. Um, but I think, you know, people choose either side of that. And I think that's just a local church choice. If you're in a denomination that requires you to go one way or another, or, I mean, you're going to, you got to make that choice. Uh, yeah. Multi, yeah. So this, the idea is that you would have a plurality of leaders. I think that's what he's talking about. Um, because it says, um, you know, he, he tells Timothy and Titus, and specifically Titus, go and find these folks. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's where the beauty of having uh, overseers or an advisory board when you plant. How many are planting or, or just, yeah, in the process? So it's good to have, like, you, you don't want to appoint titles to people too soon. That almost never goes well. Well, we're buddies. We're going to be buddies forever. Well, come up here and I'll tell you some stories. Like it, it, you, so having some outside people serve in this role, but and then what you were saying, letting someone grow into it, I think is super wise. I think current church history has shown us how wise that is. Um, great. What else? Yeah, I... I, I think we, what we've got to assume here is typically what happens with, um, we, we, we appoint and put people in leadership or in an overseeing role um, that don't have a welcoming heart for unbelievers. I think it's just true most of the time. We don't measure that typically. We go, I need the guy that's going to raise the money or lead the mission or um, you know, what, what, that's how we think about it. Uh, but we don't think, oh my gosh, like I need, if it's an overseer and I'll talk about how that looks for you personally as a lead pastor, but, 
Um, I need that person to model what it looks like to be a friend of sinners. And we don't think, but that's what it were, the word means, you know, I mean, look, look back there at that word. I mean, I think it's, I mean, it, it, it is kind of a, oh man, hospitable means literally philo, love, and then strangers. You're loving strangers. You're welcoming people. So, because what happens is elders, when they get power, leaders, when they get power, staff, when they get power, um, it's very easy for them to then consolidate that power and then just hang out with unbelievers all the time. I mean, hang out with believers all the time. It's just, it's just easy. Yes, sir. I, I think four, and we're going to get into that and say, I think four is a good number. Four engaged. Typically what guys do, well, we'll talk about that in a second. You have four and three aren't engaged and, and one is semi-engaged. Yeah. Four over two. Yeah, that's what he was talking about, the outside. Right. That are senior pastors or have been senior pastors typically. On the overseers, typically, no, you want you want separate, yeah. But you, if the if the wives are engaged, that's awesome. Or the whatever you do it, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. Any, I'm gonna get to all the practical. Any other questions about the qualifications or any of that? Before, I want to move. I want to move to exactly where you're itching there. Okay, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's the only one of significant. I mean, really, if you go down, it says the same thing different ways for, for deacons. Um, he just kind of, um, and deaconesses, I mean, the wise, that's a, that's the deaconess. Um, so I think, I think teaching is the differentiator. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Any other questions about the qualifications? It is, but it, okay, so let's get there. Let's go. We'll, we can come back if we want to do the other one, um, and then we'll do Q&A uh, about all this. Okay, so next page. So this is my statement, my bold statement that I can be argued with about, but I will win. The spiritual condition of your soul before God and the forward progress of your leadership with the church is directly connected to the content, I'm sorry, to the character, wisdom, and skills of your elders. So choose overseers and other leaders based on their character, chemistry, capacity, and competence. It is vital that your overseers, now we're talking about this model now over here that we're encouraging you with, it's, it's vital that your overseers serve as, your act, as active members to you, your family, and your church in order to have sustainable, fruitful ministry. 
So character, we talked about chemistry. Um, you have, I think you want these folks in that role. You, you, these are the people you, you kind of enjoy. You may enjoy some more than others, but you don't feel the life force leaving your body when you have a conversation with them. You actually enjoy them. When their name pops up in your phone, you want to talk to them. Okay? Capacity. So they have to have two kinds of capacity. They have to have time capacity. Because really, the idea is these folks, if, you, if, if it works well, they're involved in the life of your church. They're preaching. They're teaching staff meetings. They're doing training events. This is ideal. So they have to have time capacity. They also have to have emotional capacity, meaning when you call them, you know, you can actually, you know, reach them and when time, and then when you reach them, you know, they're not breathing heavy on the other end of the phone because they're tired or they're, or they're so stressed out. They've got mar, they've got margin for you. Right. And then competence. And we'll talk about those competencies in just a second. Does that make sense? Okay. So here are, these are suggestions. You can do this any way you want, um, and you will be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. You, but here's what you got to think. You got to think, what kind of mentorship do I need? What kind of influence do I need from these folks? So the first one I would say is you need a counseling overseer. So, brother, when you were just asking right now about the small church pastor guy, this is that guy. This is the guy that's not going to help you with systems, structures, buildings, raising money. But that guy, when he calls you, gets right up in your soul. And he is asking you heart questions. He's asking you, um, you know, Jesus and you questions. How is your quiet time? What are you doing to get in the presence of God? How is fasting going? What All those spiritual disciplines questions. If you can find... Um, somebody who does this. And, and I say it this way, does this overseer have skill in helping me address my wounds? So ideally you have a person and I'll define a wound right there. Wounds are rebellious places that need repentance or broken places that need healing. So, so, so do you have someone who's going to ask you Jesus questions and then help you apply Jesus to your past to stuff that's coming up to you that you didn't, that's getting squeezed out of you because you've never had this much responsibility before. Like, it'd be great if you could have that person. Sometimes that person is a unicorn. They don't exist, but don't stop praying and don't stop looking. But ideally this is what you have. And you may split this one. You may have like spiritual discipline overseer, but they're not really great at counseling. So you know what you do? You go to a professional counselor. Okay. I think every pastor should be in counseling. Just telling you, especially as you're planning a church. Find one, figure out your counseling philosophy, get over all your stuff about oh, all counseling is, is if you're having to pay for it, it's paid discipleship. You're paying for somebody to disciple you. So if, and you got to find the right one and there's all kinds of issues. There. We, that'll be a great question in just a second that somebody has. Counseling overseer. Next one, financial overseer. Does the overseer have skill in helping me steward personal and church finances. Now, this can be huge. Uh, you know, I was uh, on the plane with uh, Willie George coming up, and Willie is super passionate about this 
personal finance thing for pastors. So he's doing some great retreats and doing some great stuff like that. We can't all get next to Willie, but we can find somebody who's like, all right, can I help you be on a budget? Can I help you? Can you, can you talk to me about your, your giving plan? Can you like somebody that's in your life? And then ideally a lot of times, um, you know, those kind of folks are really good at raising money. Cause a lot of times you have to know those kind of things to be able to raise money. Cause you have to raise money. Who's going to be your mentor. Well, generous will for $30,000, or you can have an overseer who works for free. And then when you do to get a big building, maybe you hire generous or whatever other group, but do you have somebody who can help you? Cause that's a huge issue. How do you, how do you structure? What, what, what are your pay scales? How do you organize your, what, how, how much money is too much money for a worship? All those kind of things. There's scales out there and you can find all that stuff. Leadership network does a great job with those pay bands and stuff like that. But it'd be awesome if you had somebody you could call with specific questions. Make sense? Family overseer. Does this overseer have skill in helping me lead my spouse and kids to love Jesus and the church? So sometimes the counseling and family can, can over, over, you know, kind of connect because a lot of times that's the same kind of person with the same kind of, you know, um, skills, but sometimes it can be separate. So where do you go when you have marriage problems? When you have marriage problems, not if, when you have marriage problems, you know, you know, if you're going to have marriage problems, right? You're married. So you're going to have marriage problems because you're the problem, right? (laughs) We are the problem. Okay. And so do you have that? Um, And then, you know, a lot of times this is overlooked, but man, it wouldn't be awesome to have someone who was going, how are your kids? How's your teenager? You know, you don't have a youth group right now. What's that like? Could I come over and be an uncle and, 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 and take your boy out and, and go fishing or, or throw BP and we'll, we'll talk about Jesus. And I'm going to say the same things you would say, but he's probably going to hear me. Not, not listen to you right now. Right. Um, be nice if the wife could take your, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like that, man, that is such a gift. And your kids will go, wow, this isn't just mom and dad's deal. Right. Cause they're just in the middle of all the craziness with church stuff sometimes. And then their, their best friend leaves the church or you get betrayed. And then they're, so they're like reeling, but you got this outside person who doesn't, who's not getting paid, who doesn't need to be there, but they drop in or they call or they text or they Instagram. And your kids are like, man, we got a pastor. Dad's a pastor. Mom's a pastor. Well, we got another pastor. What a gift that could be. I'm just going to call a leadership overseer or a um, leader overseer. Does this overseer, excuse me, have skill in systems and structures that encourage healthy church growth? So this is ideally a church that's larger because, and a a pastor that has built a larger church. Um, And at certain times and seasons, you may need to switch this one out because sometimes you'll have this person and they help you, and then your church gets bigger than theirs. So you, so you can either go, well, I don't want to be awkward because they are, you know, they were here first. And well, what you're saying is you don't want to have somebody close to you that you're learning how to grow your church. So shift that, you know, rotate them off, put them in a different slot, or just go, hey, thanks for serving, stay connected, but find somebody that's got a, a larger church. Larger isn't better. But there's things about larger churches that help smaller churches get larger, if you're into that. 
Okay. So part of the leader could be, you could be in a situation like, like, you know, when I planted in St. Louis, a city that's dominated by uh, in urban St. Louis, dominated by poverty and crazy racism. So my, so I had some systems and structure stuff just kind of naturally in my network. I didn't need that. I needed a leader in how to do, uh, how to, how to work with the poor and deal with race issues. So that, that was the person I chose. Does that make sense? So it might be in your context. Um, it, it could be way different. Like you, what do you need in your leadership is the idea. What do you need? Some of you are naturally good at system structures. Maybe, maybe you go, you know what? I, we, we've got this challenge in our city. We need to do that. Maybe this, maybe you've got a whole thing with youth and you're, you're you got a calling on your church for youth and you're going, I was not a youth. I was one of the rare church planners that wasn't a youth pastor. Uh, and you go, all right, well, I need somebody, whatever it is, what do you need in your leadership? That's that person. And obviously you can backfill this, right? Cause you've got relationships. And if you're around arc or another network, you, you can get this without a formal thing. But I guess what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be nice if you had this? And so then the Ephesians four model is you've got the fivefold ministry. You know, he gave son to be apostles, uh, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And what do they do? They equip this. How do they do that? Well, apostles equip unto apostleship. Prophets under pro- so you equip out of who you are. So then these people come and they make deposits in your staff and in your church on who they are. You're going to do a, a, a money series. You better have that fool that knows about money in there preaching or doing the Dave, kicking off the Dave Ramsey deal. So I'm saying you're going to do a family series. This is how you include them in the warp and woof of your church life. I'll stop there. We'll answer questions about that. Rolls. four overseers. You can ask me anything, but if you're the family overseer, talk to me about my family. Ask me questions. I think it's Let me be vulnerable. focus. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, because, I mean, if you if you just have generalist, yeah, and nobody may ask this certain question. Yeah. You had mentioned that the overseers are, are typically senior pastors. Do they have to be? If it's like an executive pastor? No, I don't think they have to be. Um, okay. t- typically, they have been or they are, or they are in some kind of senior leadership. Okay. No, it doesn't happen. I thought when you said financial overseer of an executive pastor, he's been with the same church for 30 years. Yep. So that would be, okay. That'd be great. There's no rules on this. So it's just suggestions. Sorry, we're trying to get these recorded. Thank you. Like I have this, but is it necessary to formalize it and to group it? It's not... No, it's, it's not necessary in the sense of, can you lead a church without it? But, you know, part of the model, if you can kind of remember the folks standing up here. So hey, come here, buddy. You know, I need your help again. So senior pastor starts having conflict with stay right here with staff person or trustees. Um, and it's, and it's, and so if there's nothing formal and in the bylaws, which ARC rep- re- recommends in the bylaws, and they're very specific on how it happens if there's problems, these folks would come in if they can't solve it. 
these folks come in and they're an authority to solve the problem. And then when they solve the problem, they step it out. Now that might mean he goes away. We hope not. But hopefully what happens is we solve it and he gets to stay here. And some, maybe somebody over here goes away. Makes sense? Thanks. What else? Yes, sir. Hang on just a second. Hang on. Wait for the mic. Does the overseers, do they have a role in uh, setting the, the church budget and or the, the pastor's salary? Um, at first in a new church plant, potentially yes. But once, once things are rolling, and, and they could always stay that way, but ideally you have trustees who do, who, who do some of the church salary. They may do the senior pastor or the senior leadership team salary kind of keep that separate. Some churches do that. Some keep it in-house. Just kind of depends on your model. But if it's outside, it can be a little cleaner. For obvious reasons, you know, that whole, that's a, quite a debate on the salary stuff. Okay. How often would you merge your overseers with your local elders to make sure that that this this will's not spinning over here, um, and and the elders are are in the dark, yeah. or vice versa, where there's not like competing agendas? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, let me answer that question as we go into our next session. Session. Section. I will. David, did you did you have one? Yes, brother back here. Okay, sorry. Because of the potential you mentioned of maybe transitioning an overseer out because of a need or, or whatnot, when you establish them, do you position it as a, we'll see when we have to change, or like a six months to a year time frame for it? Yeah, it's typically a two-year term, and then you can't replace um, can't replace two at one time. You got to stagger it so that he can't the, the pastor can't just go. You're all fired when they're trying to confront him or deal with an issue. Yeah, so you stagger it. But there's room to like you can like you could like if you get a bad seed there, which is possible, you can you can you could fire one that makes sense and deal with that. But then the other three. Is to keep the password from being a dictator. Yeah. Or the shortened word of that. Go ahead. The the guy the overseers are outside the church, correct? And these guys are inside the church. And what if uh, don't you have to get them to get don't you have to going back to the question back here, do you formalize it? Wouldn't you have to formalize it in some sort of document so the people inside would know the people on the outside? Otherwise they're just random people coming in exactly. trying to make yeah. decisions. Yeah, it's in the bylaws. The, the, the idea is in the bylaws, and the church would recognize them and be known that these are with a protocol of if this happens and this happens, these guys come in. Yeah, it's all clearly spelled out. If you go through the art process, you get the bylaws, you'll see how clearly spelled out it is. It's all legal, legal language. Kind of related to that, uh, how often do you recommend that these overseers speak in front of the church. I've heard Pastor Chris talk about annually 
Although that's kind of expensive if you have four or five overseers to have them come every year. Yeah. In a, what do you recommend or what do you think? Well, you t- yeah, typically, um, typically overseer, and this, this may be later on, um, you know, you, but typically they pay their own way. So it's kind of on them. They, there is no financial remuneration to them, including travel. Um, now, if the church wants to bless them as the church gets larger, that's on that. But I mean, there's, um, but that also protects against, you know, a conflict of interest of, oh, we're bringing you in and paying you 10 grand to speak. And, oh, by the way, it needs to go this way on this vote, you know, kind of thing. So. Um, how, how many times a year do you think for each one to speak? Sorry, I didn't answer that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I just think they need to be known. And so that maybe that's annually, maybe. So sometimes maybe it's on the, uh, a a weekend service or a staff meeting, or you could even include them like with zoom and, and staff meeting. I mean, I think there's ways to do it without having everybody come all the time, but I think it just like the worst case scenario is something happens with a pastor, a conflict or a moral failure or something. And, and these folks come in and nobody knows them. That's a bad day. You don't want that. So, and you want their influence. Now what, you know, we'll talk about the mistakes made with that in a second, but you got to have them in enough to where people know them. So just to clarify, um, so an overseer should not be compensated not an outside overseer. Okay. Even if they, like, if they have an organization or something like that, uh, like the church shouldn't be supporting that or, or anything like that? No. Why, now, wh- why would that be? Yeah. I'm, I'm, we're, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll support you if I get your vote. I mean, it's, um, people do it all the time. I mean, you can, listen, there is no, there is no clear ecclesiology in the New Testament. There is nothing that says tells us how to do Everything is flexible. This is just a model in current church history that seems to work because it protects the pastor from the church and it protects the church from the pastor if either one goes crazy. It's Presbyterianism, if you guys know. It's, it really is. That's what it is. It's, it's, it, but it's with chosen overseers versus guys in the local or gals in the local association that are doing it. I didn't plant, plant with ARC. I took uh, church over. So what would you, what would be your, and maybe I missed this in the very beginning, but what is the, um, what's the separation of power or governance between internal and external? So all the external, um, let me see if I'm going to talk about that clearly. All the external overseers would do is be a mentor in those four areas to the pastor's family. And then um, they would come in and have and encourage the church with their gifts. And then their only, their only authority is if there is a conflict spelled out in the bylaws that can't be reconciled or a pastor um, who's not listening to, to their internal leaders. It's the only time they would have authority and it's a set time to solve a, a specific problem. So they have no, there's no, this isn't like a apostolic authority. 
like there's some you know network this is not this is not that um in the case of uh performance of the pastor um i found that sometimes overseers are involved in that process what do you what do you think with yeah, that yeah absolutely so so you would have like if you're doing 360s um Ideally, you would have overseers involved in that. 360 is um, I get reviewed by my I get reviewed by my peers and my downline, the people, my direct reports, and then the overseers would be kind of the, you know. So 360 I mean all every all around you and everything you're doing that your job description says you should be doing. So you have you have peer review, you have you know you know, uh, supervise, supervisor, supervisory review. And then you have like staff review. Every single person gets to speak into that. And a lot of times the overseers will run that process. So they would, it, you know, um, they come in and they go, Hey, we're going to gather the staff and we're going to ask questions potentially, uh, about how things are going in your, in your leadership. Um, smart past, it, you know, this is, it's a little scary, but if you want to grow, and you expect that of everybody else, why wouldn't you go first? So then, yeah, absolutely use your overseers for that. Where does one get those uh, evaluations? Yeah, um, we can, uh, how could we, uh, how could we get that to you? No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you on Instagram, Pro Facebook, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. Oh, they told you not to do it then. I'm telling you to do it. Yeah. Get it back and just don't misuse it. No. Uh, yeah. Get, my assistant Dave will get you, we'll get you that. But if you Google 360, it's all over the place. There's all kinds of ways to questions to ask and ways to do it. But we're doing a pretty cool thing at Seacoast with it, which is good. I'm, I do leadership development at Seacoast, so that's part of what I'm doing. So I'll be glad to share any of that. Okay, let's move to common mistakes, and then we can come back to other questions. We going to two thirty, Matt? Okay. Okay, here's your t here, here's where you can go wrong. Oh, we're going to do overseers. We see it. We got it. What are we doing? How are we going to? First, first mistake is nepotism. Failing to diversify your team by choosing your friends. Now, I'm not saying don't choose your friends. Remember I said chemistry is a big part of it. But what I have seen in doing multiple interviews with ARC pastors um, and Acts 29 pastors and some of the others that are using this model is what typically people do is they put their buddies on this team so they don't get much pushback. To your own soul's detriment will you do that and your own church's health. Just, it just, that is not going to, you're not going to maximize the potential, your redemptive potential if you do that. So you need some buddies there. You don't want, like I said, when the phone rings, oh my gosh. Like, and you want to be able to go, but like, you've got to be careful that it's not just yes people, right? Uh, isolation. This is when you fail to communicate consistently. I'm starting to get a lot of calls because me and Pastor Greg are doing this pastor's collective thing. Please sign up for the podcast. And um, even though I, iTunes is messing with us and not letting you on there, so note it and come back to it next week. But we're, we're doing this. It's, the podcast is basically talking, interviewing, and letting pastors and their wives and whoever else is involved in the staffs 
tell their stories of, of struggle and how they, how they made it out of it. So now I get all these people coming to me going, man, I'm struggling, man. But like, who are you? My first question is who are your overseers? And I, and I, this one guy I was working with, I'm like, Hey, who are your overseers? He started naming people. And so we had to cut off the conversation. So I called one of them. He's like, dude, I haven't talked to that guy in three years. That is not uncommon. So you got to communicate. And I think that's that question you guys were asking about how frequent, you know, they got to be around and they got to know you. These are the people that you can make yourself known to. Um, you can't trust everything about your life to the people in your church. There's some things that you can only trust the people outside your church. These people ought to be in that circle. Segregation. This, this is kind of what I was saying. Fell into connect your overseers to the life of the church. So they just know the church from what you say, but they're not in it. If they're in your staff meetings, if they're in your services, they're going to pick up things that are really going on no matter what you say to them. And you will lie to them. You know that, right? You know you're a liar, don't you? We all lie. It's different ways and for different reasons. We don't always mean to, but we do. But when they're there, you know, like you start coaching church players and you guys coach pastors and you're like, oh man, it's going great. And you go there and you're like, dude, somebody wrote Ichabod up here and you can't read it. Like it's bad, bad because you, because you're there and you pick it up. So let them do that. Abdication. Now I've seen this a few times. You're failing to lead them and you're allowing them to drive the vision. These are not, this isn't your vision team. They support your vision. And if anybody that wants to be in this role that's trying to speak into your vision, they're not an overseer you want. They need to be a lead. They need to pastor their own deal. Or a lot of times, I've seen this, overseers get in the position to try to take your church over. <laughs> so watch that one. So I mean, I'm just telling you, like, you, you, you got to know, you got you to gotta know that you're leading them. They're supporting your vision. They're not speaking into that. Speak into, and that's why if you have these lanes, it can be very helpful. Because a lot of times you'll put a person in this role and they're used to speaking into everything because why? They've probably been a senior pastor. So it's hard for them to take that hat off. But you go, no, this is the lane I want you in. And they start bleeding over. And like, no, bro, see that line right over here? Get in the lane. Okay, let's just do, do the mass confession. It's good for the soul. James 5.16 says, confess your faults one to another. How many would say, if you had to say, nepotism might be a struggle for you or a temptation for you in choosing overseers, either external or internal? Okay. How about isolation? Yeah. How about segregation? Yeah. How about abdication? Okay. A lot of you are not self-aware. Or you're afraid to expose yourself in a room full of strangers, which I understand. But here, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Know what your temptation is. And then tell somebody. Tell somebody. And be accountable to it. Because we all have these. Um, uh, mine is isolation. I, I don't want to, I want, I want people to trust me without information. They're like, dude, you didn't tell me. And I'm like, I thought it to you. Didn't you get it? <laughs> tell me, right? But I, that's, I'm an isolator. It's actually what got me fired from my church was a whole nother story I could tell you. So um, 
Yeah, so you don't want that story. So I'm very qualified to tell you how to lead your church, getting fired from my church. Uh, actually, I really am because I live the pain of it. Everything I'm telling you to do, I didn't do well, and it cost me my church that I planted. So want you to not have that experience. So um, we got five minutes. What else? Yeah, brother. With the uh, isolation mistake, um, what does that pursuit look like from the pastor? From yeah, what does that pursuit look like from the pastor's role and the overseer's role? How, how often are you as a pastor reaching out? How often are you as the overseer reaching out? Do you just set those expectations up front? And say, yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think at least honestly, like once a month check ins. Do you guys use Marco Polo, the app? Okay, it sounds, if you've not, it's, it's, it's one of the most interesting ways to stay connected to people that I think is, I've seen in a long time. It's basically a video uh, texting. If you use Voxer, it's, like a, it's a video. T- you can leave a message on video with somebody, and then they, they can get back to you. And so you can actually talk to people without talking to them. We're so busy, but you're in the car. Hey, man, I want to do blah, blah. You know, you can use that. Um, but I just think this, just once a month is great. Some of these people you'll talk to once a week because they're like mentoring your marriage or helping you with some wound issues. So I think you just, it, I, I would say at least once a month, it would, would keep connection. And then somebody said, I think David said, come in annually, um, be great. And let me talk about uh, local to extra local. I, if you can have, the more local you ha- can have, the better because you can get to them and they can get to you. But I would say at least two local if you can do it and two extra local. And, so, and it's really good to not have everybody local because I think it's good to have people outside of your city. Because there was a church where there was a, there was a big rumor and some conflict because of two churches. One of the guys is an overseer and the other two took the side of the overseer and all of his, all of his uh, overseers were local. And, it, and because of this thing that happened that really wasn't totally his fault, they all kind of ganged up on him because they were all in the same city. Does that make sense? So I think having somebody outside is, is great. You don't want an overseer. I asked one of the art guys, I won't say who it is. I said, how many overseer, how many churches are you an overseer for? You know what he said? 13. So he said, when, he, when you're an overseer for 13 churches, that means you're an overseer for zero churches. All right, come on, bring bring the vulnerability. The reason I asked about making it public and formal because I know my overseers don't like each other. My overseers, they don't like, they love me. <laughs> they don't like each other, though. So we have great communications, and Marco Polo, phenomenal tool. I use it. Uh, so I talk to this one about that one, this one about that one, that situation, whatever. Yeah. But actually bringing them in one room together, None. Well, you get in those situations because a lot of times people will put their pastor on this. And then, I mean, that happens a lot. So I would just say, uh, is it, so these aren't formally in your bylaws where these guys, if they had to work together. Yeah. Well, if it's not, you're probably okay. You don't want the situation to where all hell breaks loose in that scenario and they're having to come in and they don't, that's a bad day. Don't want that. I think we head back here. Then I'm going to say this so it gets on the recording for all of you. For the 360s and really anything else, D-A-V-I-D-U-R-Z-I at seacoast.org. 
if you get into this, get home, and you're like, holy cow, I wish I had Darren right here to answer this question, shoot me an email. We'll help you. We're here to, we're here to serve. So what would you think about a situation where um, a pastor has had an overseer uh, uh, and the pastor, um, the overseer retired as a senior pastor and ended up moving to your community and loves your church so much, he starts coming to your church. Is that a, I mean, we're in this situation. So you're asking for a friend, right? I'm asking for a friend (laughs) in another community. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, we're talking about really emotionally healthy, very great relationship. I mean, I guess my question is what to look out for, or is this just a no in your heart? Uh, What do you think? I think there's a place for retired pastors. Would you have him as a formal overseer? I think I agree with that. Yeah. Um, speaking to uh, the guy who no one knows, who shall remain nameless, um, doesn't <laughs> in the blue shirt <laughs> with with the with the blue shirt and the great tan. Um, I would almost, I mean, this, I'm giving an opinion here. I would almost say something is disqualified in a team of overseers who can't stand each other. Because if it ever does break down and the four of them have to get together to fix something, God forbid, you said that's a big mess. I'd say I'd work on changing something there. Sometimes you run into political situations that, because of funding, prior relationships, denominational stuff, network stuff, where that can be very complicated. So I'm feeling that from you. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm feeling that. So that's where I was. But I agree with what he said. I mean, that's a, that's a character problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. One more. Um, can you talk to you just for a second what channels maybe you could, we could create to help, say, our wives um, to kind of create some pathways and channels for them to communicate to either elders or overseers because of our propensity to lie, cover the truth. They know things that are going on and and they need to get some help. Ideally, that's where I was talking about that family. There's one and hopefully it's husband and wife team um, on that one for sure. And uh, preferably on the counseling one too. So I think that would be your, your lane there. Um, That's what I'd recommend. Cool. Can I pray for everybody? Yeah, please pray. Yeah, let me pray. Father, thank you for these pastors. Thank you that, um, Lord, you love our churches more than we do. Uh, Jesus, we, we believe your words that are hard to believe. I will build my church. You said that, Lord. So, Lord, would you do that? And would you help us? And help us to find the leaders and the structure that will best um, serve to equip our people uh, to reach our city for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Thanks, guys. Come on. That was awesome.